Hi, Dr. Sam Waldron here. The fields are white for harvest, but the laborers are few. Most men who need a seminary education can afford it the least, and no seminary is fully supported by student tuition and fees. We rely on the generosity of our supporters and friends. Would you give today and help us to make informed scholarship with pastoral heart affordable for the next generation of gospel ministers? Visit cbtseminary.org give to learn how you can help. You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, stories from Reformed Baptist history with commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist history. We're on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are a regular listener, you know that I have a special interest in the lesser-known men and women who make up particular Baptist history. Of course, the giants of the faith shouldn't be ignored. And so in time, I expect we will look at men like John Gill, William Carey, and Andrew Fuller, all important English particular Baptists from the 18th century. But I want to regularly intersperse lesser-known and even obscure men and women who contributed to our history and had an impact for Christ in their time and place. In the next few episodes, I plan to acquaint you with one of the most important Baptist hymn writers of the 1700s. Largely forgotten now, her name is Anne Steele, spelled with an E at the end of both her first and last names. But before we look at her life and work, I want you to know the three particular Baptist pastors that played a role in forming her life. They were all three related to her, but they are virtually unknown to us today, and that needs to be rectified. The first of the pastors is Edward Frude. That's Anne's grandfather on her mother's side. Edward was born in 1645, and when he was 18, his father moved the family to Sedge Hill, a small village about 50 miles southeast of Bristol. When his father died the next year, Edward inherited the land and home called Sweetwell Farm. Sometime in the next few years, he married a woman named Elizabeth Blackborrow, and it appears that they were both already convinced Baptists, because in 1674 they and other relatives were charged with non-attendance at the state church. Nine years later, Edward is on another list for non-attendance and is called an Anabaptist preacher. So by age 38, he is married with children, owns two farms, and is pastoring a persecuted particular Baptist church in the oddly named place of Tinhead. For reference, this is just about 15 miles northwest of the famous Stonehenge landmark. This Baptist church met not in a circle of stones, but in its member homes. It would be many decades before there was both liberty and money to construct a building for worship. Now, there are court records showing this body had both preachers and members who together broke the law by gathering illegally to worship and refusing to have their children baptized. 
Fines were handed out against them in 1671 when 20 were assembled at a house. They were pursued by the authorities from 1662 until the 1680s, and yet they grew. And during that troubled time, Edward became one of the pastors. Because of his inheritances and success in business, Edward had the means and opportunity to study for his pastoral work. Of course, as a dissenter, he was shut out of Oxford and Cambridge, but apparently a local Presbyterian pastor, ejected from his living in 1662, educated Edward. Since the family's grave inscriptions are written in Latin, it appears he received academic training. By the time toleration came in 1689, the Baptist cause in the county of Wiltshire had grown significantly. In the 1650s, there were but two such churches. By 1689, there were 12. And when the invitation came to meet in London for the General Assembly of Particular Baptist Churches, Edward Froude and his co-elder William Aldridge represented their congregation. Following the nine days of meetings and acceptance of the Confession of Faith, Edward returned home and continued to pastor for another 25 years. He died in 1714, three years before our hymnist and his granddaughter was born. But his life impacted hers in several obvious but important ways. He set a solid example for decades of faith under trial. He succeeded in improving his family's economic situation despite living outside the mainstream of political and religious life. And he raised his children in the Baptist faith, which God blessed to the salvation of many of them. Finally, it's clear his congregation appreciated him as they described him as a man, quote, eminent for piety and preaching. The fifth of Edward's nine children was a daughter, Anne, born in 1684. At the age of 29, she married William Steele in the months before her father died. They lived in Broughton, about 30 miles southeast of Tinhead, in the ancestral family home, quaintly named Grandfathers. Their pastor at the Baptist church was William's uncle, Henry Steele. Henry had professed faith and been baptized at age 25 into the Broughton Baptist Church. In the years that followed, he preached occasionally, but was ordained pastor of the congregation in 1699 at the age of 44. The church made their choice after fasting and prayer and the laying on of the hands of two other local Baptist pastors. As most other rural Baptist pastors at the time, he supported himself, in this case as a carpenter and seller of timber to the Navy. He and his brother Thomas were very successful at this. There are even records of his giving to the support of other Baptist pastors. He also gave land and two houses, which the church converted into a meeting house for public worship. The church records of the time show 78 members, which is really a remarkable number given the rural nature of the area. Since this included baptized adults only, the meetings must have been quite sizable. Henry Steele had a reputation for being a fine preacher. There's a story recorded in the church book that the state clergyman of Broughton complained to the bishop about Henry's popularity. 
The record reads as follows, that one Henry Steele had set up preaching and had drawn all the people after him, asking the bishop how best he should oppose his rival, the good bishop answered, go home and preach better than Henry Steele, and the people will return. I suspect this was not the answer that the cleric was looking for. Many years before, Henry had invited his unsaved brother Thomas to his baptism, and it led to Thomas's conversion. This Thomas was William's father and our hymnist Anne's grandfather, on her father's side, of course. William later also professed faith and was baptized by his pastor uncle Henry at the age of 19. It is recorded that he began to preach immediately following his public confession in baptism. It seems that he traveled around the county for several years preaching to the scattered Baptist churches and evangelizing. It may have been that this itinerant ministry was the means of his meeting Anne Frude, who became his wife in 1714. Then William helped his uncle as a preaching elder during Henry's 40-year pastorate. And when Henry died, William became the pastor, an office he filled for another 30 years. William not only preached at Broughton, but for others as well. Once when he was traveling to preach, his horse threw and trampled him. He sustained a broken hip and a compound fracture in one leg. The infection almost killed him, but he sufficiently recovered to preach four months later. Although the one leg was always an inch shorter than the other, and he limped for the rest of his life. This event must have not only been frightening to his church, but of course more so to his family. His wife describes the sweetness of William's prayer when he was able to return to leading worship. And in the home, we are told that his family was often greatly moved by his prayers. William and Anne had three children. The first was also named William, followed by our hymn writer, Anne. The third child was named Thomas, but tragically his mother died in childbirth and the baby followed just a few weeks later. Through his losses, God molded this pastor, William Steele. Thus, the church that Anne would grow up attending and later join was pastored by her uncle Henry and her father William. From these men, she heard the gospel that she would soon believe and later write about in songs and poems. These, along with her grandfather, Edward Froude, are the faithful, gifted, busy, and blessed pastors that influenced Anne Steele. My interest in the several William Steeles has a personal connection. I own a first printing of Benjamin Keach's Metaphors, the two volumes from 1681 and 82, large and back then would have been very expensive. You would have had to have been fairly wealthy to afford these books. Well, inside there is an old inscription that reads, William Steele, his book. Steele is spelled with an E at the end. The script is clear, firm, and done with a fine nib, obviously an educated man. And the phrase, his book, is the old-fashioned way of showing possession in the 17th and 18th centuries. In our day, we have contracted his to an apostrophe S. While I haven't found a signature of any of the William Steele men, yet I do hope someday to see if they match. And I strongly suspect that the owner of this Baptist home 
is one of the relatives of Anne Steele. Further research to follow, I hope. Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace. Thank you.